And that's okay because that tells us we need to keep praying. We need to keep after that. So uh, that's the first thing is to give a little bit of time of update. And then the other thing is, is just to encourage us all that when we pray, we're not done. Uh, when we pray for one another, let's, let's continue to reach out. Let's continue to connect. Uh, I was thinking a lot about some of the requests that were shown. I, I shared last week. I know Susie's not here this week, but she has been on my heart a lot since she shared that request. And I thought, I need to do more than pray. I need to just send a text or maybe call her or something and, uh, and just say, hey, how are things going? How, how can we come alongside you? How can we help you? So we want to really encourage all the, all the body uh, to be active in doing that. So to get us started today, are there any updates from our previous prayer requests? Yes, Luke. Hi. <clears throat> wow, sorry. Hi, I'm Luke. Uh, so basically my prayer request had been, Taylor and I are intending to move to Germany after graduation, get jobs there. She did a better job because she has a job lined up. Um, but this week when I was like in line at a coffee shop, as you frequently find me, um, my phone rang and it was a plus 49 area code. And for everyone in the room, that's Germany. Um, and I was like, oh boy. So I picked up, and long story short, I have a job interview lined up on the 31st. All right, wow. Yeah. So Mike got excited there, just uh, yeah, started so, coming. That's awesome. Guess, yeah, it's on the 31st, so I will not have an update next week, but prayers for it anyway. All right, we will continue to pray for this transition that Luke and Taylor are going through of sadly leaving our body here, but eventually going to Germany and God placing them and already preparing the way for them. And one of the things we've been praying for is a job for Luke. And so let's continue to pray for that. All right. Hi, <laughs> um, I'm Katie. I had you guys praying a couple of weeks ago um, for my tonsillectomy and I'd say I'm about 85% recovered. I feel pretty good. It's just kind of like a sore throat right now, but I've just been very touched at all the people who have been praying and have asked me how I'm doing. It's been, you know, just a joy. So thank you guys. Okay. All right. Thanks for that update, Katie. Good to, good to have you here feeling better and hearing your voice again. Uh, I'm Axel. I had prayed yesterday or last week. Yesterday, it's been a long week. Um, I'll be honest; I didn't want to be here today because I just felt like sleeping. But uh, because of the long week, um, but I'm showing my faith more this week than I was last. So every every day is a a step, I should say. Um, and we also got word that my mom, who we prayed for last week um, for better health, she's actually going to be filing for Social Security which is uh, a huge step, I guess, for near full disability. So that's going to help her and my dad in the, in the sense that I don't have to buy him anything anymore. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Thanks, Axel. Appreciate that update. And, hey, thanks for being, a, being an example to all of us. Just saying, man, I don't feel like it, but uh, I'm not going to go by feeling. I'm going to go by faith today and, and showing up. Man, that's great. All right. Uh, hi, Tatiana is here again about Ukrainian. I heard that you prayed last week. I'm not um, making every week for the worship. have a lot of pain in my body. So anyway, the three of the girls coming on 16th, they bought the tickets last Sunday. Uh, my two sisters and uh, niece. 
uh, on February 16th, and um, another my niece, Tatiana, we already gave up with her. We thought maybe she will go some different country, Germany or something, because we keep filing for her, and they didn't uh, respond. So they responded last Friday uh, and sent her code for registration for travel permit to United States. So we're hoping that she will, this week, will finish that. And it's we're very excited about this one. Thank you for praying. Yeah. You bet. And we will continue to pray. Uh, so yeah, almost a year ago, uh, you know, this, this uh, invasion of Russia into Ukraine uh, began, and uh, the news really picked up a lot on it. Maybe we haven't seen as much, but it's still going on. There's still uh, uh, missile strikes happening in residential areas and things like that. And so a lot of the citizens of Ukraine, they need a safe place. Uh, where they're at now is not a safe place. Cities are gone. And uh, so we have Tatiana right here and family members uh, on their way, refugees basically looking for safety. And uh, so that's something we need to be praying for, something we just need to be opening our arms and our doors uh, towards them. Pray especially for these families to stay together, uh, for God to coordinate uh, the logistics and everything so that they can stick together uh, through this. And just keep praying for uh, the uprisings and the troubles and uh, everything else that's just happening in our world today. It may not be affecting us right here in our own homes, but it's affecting our sister and her family across the world. All right, any other prayer requests, or praise reports, updates, things like that? Uh, you guys prayed for me a while back about um, my clutter, and I've had um, somebody step up that I know from my works, where I used to work with my paintings, and she offered to come once a week and you know just give me a little assignment or something and that's really going to be helpful because already i'm starting because i know she's coming anyway it's bringing up all kinds of emotional stuff which sometimes i want to apologize because it might come up here and uh, but lots of stuff because i'm i'm uncovering things about family and things like that and it's just really crazy so i really really want to thank all of you for your prayers all right. Thank you, Kathleen. We're going to pray that uh, God really works in the relationship that you'll have with this person coming alongside, helping you to be a time of encouraging in faith. Joey? Yes, hello. Uh, my name is Joey. This is a new prayer request. Um, so some of you may know, my dad's dad uh, last month had some medical troubles uh, where they basically took him to the hospital they had to drain some fluid out of his bladder. He had a UTI. It was pretty bad. Um, but basically since then, he's been in pretty poor condition, and he's been in hospice care. And we just got an update this last week that um, things aren't looking too good, and they're not expecting him to live much more than a week more. Um, and I just want to pray for him especially because, to my knowledge, he's not a Christian. Um, and I just... I mean, one of the ways I really have admired my dad is through his witness of Christ to his dad, uh, my grandpa. So I just want to pray for him that the Lord would grip his soul before uh, he leaves. I mean, if Jesus said to the one on the cross next to him, today you'll be with me in paradise, I know he can do that for my grandpa too. Um, but yeah, I just want to 
pray that that would be done and also just pray for the rest of the family as they go through this time where absolutely. he's declining in health. Okay, absolutely. And God is hand, God's hand is not too short. <laughs> he's mighty to save. Yes, ma'am. Hi, I'm Laurie, and um, <clears throat> I haven't said anything before because I've been pretty emotionally <laughs> unstable, and I didn't want to cry in front of you again. But um, since my father's death, um, uh, we have found ourselves, um, me and Nick, in kind of a different uh, situation of caring for people. And uh, so I just want to ask if you could lift my brother up. Um, he is grieving like I have never seen anybody grieve before. Him and my dad were very close. If you think I was close to my dad, it's it's tenfold there. And so um, to my knowledge, I don't believe my brother is a believer. And, um, you know, I'm 50-something and he's 60-something. And I have in the last month and a half, I have never seen him reach out more to us. So this is our ministry to my family right now. So if you could just pray for that, I really appreciate it. Yeah, his name is Glenn. Uh, I did not want to go to the burning of the beetle in Custer because I think it's just weird. Uh, but Glenn wanted to go, so we went. And uh, there were fireworks. It was weird, but there were fireworks. So it was pretty awesome. And I'm grateful for the opportunities to take time. And just want to encourage you all to do that. Just look around to people in your life that, that need just need to know the the grace of God and what that can do in their lives and just take advantage of that. Spend time with them. Luke? Uh, um, I'm Luke. Um, last week I asked for prayer with my shoulder, uh, which I broke a few weeks ago. Um, don't really have a ton of updates with that, but um, kind of getting the ball rolling uh, with getting the doctor that I saw here to communicate with the doctor in Colorado, um, who's the specialist. So be back from vacation tomorrow so hopefully i'll get a call sometime this week with a little bit more info on that um but i had kind of the main prayer request i wanted to bring up was um kind of had a, a family tragedy happen uh just yesterday um uh last night i was just kind of get, getting ready to make dinner uh, i got a text from my mom uh saying that one of my aunts uh, had collapsed and was brought to the hospital um, that they had been performing CPR, uh, and she just asked me to pray for her. Um, so I was praying, and um, while I was continuing to make dinner, um, I just remember thinking to myself, um, well, God's going to heal her, you know, and having just such a firm thought in my mind that God would heal her. Uh, and as soon as I thought that, I felt my phone vibrating in my pocket. My heart just sunk, because I know I wouldn't have been getting a call uh, if it was good news. Fortunately, uh, my aunt went to be with the Lord last night at about 6 o'clock. Um, it was just super sudden. Uh, I know my uncle is still in shock. As far as I'm aware, she didn't have any previous um, health conditions, so everybody's just still kind of lost. Um, I know one, one of my cousins in particular is taking it very hard because she's a nursing student, um, and she was right there when she collapsed, so she feels like she um, should have been able to do more. Um, so... But um, just really sudden, um, nobody was expecting anything. And 
Um, I know that my whole family is just in a lot of pain right now um, from sure. such a sudden thing. Yeah, man, I'm sorry, Luke. Really sorry for your loss. Um, but, uh, you know, you were certain God would heal her. And the, an the, the answer to that prayer isn't what we expect, uh, what it looks like. But we trust God's in control. And if she went to be with the Lord, she knows healing like we could never even ask for, that we could even pray for. So I hope there's some, some comfort in that. Uh, uh, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. We have hope. And uh, so let's pray for Luke's family to experience that hope, walk in that hope, for people to come around them, love them uh, in this time. Okay? All right. So as we have been doing here in the past, and as uh, Pastor Evan has kind of led us into this, I'm just going to kind of remind you of what some of these prayer requests are. Hopefully you're writing them down so that you can pray for them throughout the week and maybe, like I said, check in on somebody and just say, hey, remember your request, um, how are you doing this week, and reach out to one another. And I'm just going to ask that uh, sometimes we just assign groups to, or areas to pray for things. I'm just going to ask this. If you're sitting close to somebody that, well, even if you're willing to move all the way across the uh, sanctuary for, uh, would you just move towards Towards them and uh, spend some time in prayer uh, with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, and here's just the reminders again. We have Luke number one um, involved in the Mark uh, drama, uh, moving to Germany, has a job interview coming up. Uh, would you gather around both him and Kayla Taylor and pray for them as God continues to lead them in this? And they're right there in the center if you're wondering who they are. And then Katie is here, and she's 85% uh, recovered, so we have 15% more to keep praying for uh, a full recovery. But uh, just pray for her and be thankful for her being here with us today. Uh, and then Axel, let's continue to pray for Axel and for his mom's well-being and her care. And, uh, you know, especially Axel's uh, continued growth in his faith in Christ. And then Tetiana's in the back there. Pray for her. Pray for her family. This is a heartbreaking thing for Tetiana. And just uh, as we're praying for her family, let's remember to pray for her too. And then Kathleen. Uh, who's uh, going through some time of just kind of sorting through some things, but God has brought someone into her life. Let's pray that that continues to go well. Uh, let's pray for Joey, as Joey's grandfather uh, seems to be coming to his end of days. And maybe this is a time where he'll really open up his heart uh, to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's pray for God's spirit to work mightily in that. And then we have Lori uh, and her brother. Uh, and I know I can say this, that Lori's still grieving, uh, along with Glenn. Uh, and if you would just pray for uh, people who are walking through grief. And, uh, you know, uh, Kayla, you, you're going through it too. There's a lot of us that are still grieving. Grief never ends. Uh, and sometimes when you think it's done, it comes back and hits us hits us hard like a wave. So uh, pray for those who are grieving uh, along with Luke and his family at this time. All right, so let's just take some time. I'm going to let you just kind of reposition and gather and pray. And then after a few moments, I will close this off and pray for our pastor as he prays a pretty, or pre preaches a pretty difficult uh, chapter today. And as you're moving, I'll just open us. Father, as we, as we move towards one another, God, we move towards one another to move towards you. 
And uh, we can only do that because of the grace of Jesus Christ. And uh, help us to understand that grace more deeply today. Help us to understand it while we pray. Help us to understand that as we worship. Help us to understand your grace uh, as we dig into your word today. And Lord, may we walk out of this place uh, blessed to have shown up because you've enriched us with your grace. And now be with us in our prayers, we ask in Jesus' name.
Heavenly Father, as we uh, continue in our prayers and begin to close our prayers now, um, again, we just come to you because we, we need you, Lord, in all these requests of walking through grief, of walking through uncertainty, of facing situations that are much bigger than, than us, um, things, Lord, that can rattle us to our, our core. Uh, Lord, we just come before you. Uh, Father, thank you that we can gather together and pray for one another to take this time to do this. Help us to continue uh, throughout this week. Uh, bring to rem our remembrance uh, these these people, not just their requests, but their the people that we love here, that we would continue to pray for one another. Uh, put in our hearts God's way that we can pray uh, for one another, even when requests aren't shared. Lord, thank you that we have technology where a text can come in and we can find out that a member who's not here today because he's in Denver with his mom who apparently has just had some accident and been injured uh, greatly because of that, that we can stop and pray for, uh, for Garrett and for his mom as well. So, Lord, thank you for making that connection for us. God, I, I just want to personally thank you for changing my heart about prayer. There was a time in my life when I didn't think prayer did anything. And uh, Lord, there are times in my life where I don't understand the answers uh, to prayer. But uh, Lord, there, there are times when you change our circumstances, uh, but there is always a time, every time, when we pray that you can work to change our hearts. And so Lord, I pray for that today, that you would continue to do the work of changing our hearts, growing in faith, growing in our knowledge of you, growing in our experience of who you are and how you are unfolding your, your plan of redeeming what is broken in this world. And so now let me pray for our pastor. And as heaven comes forth here, that God, the words that, uh, the word that he has been studying uh, would become the words that you want to him to communicate to us. And so God, help us to fix our eyes on Jesus uh, as he takes us into your word and preaches about a very difficult topic. But help, help us to see, God, how this, this chapter of an event that happened thousands of years ago is still something that is relevant for our lives today. So bless our pastor, anoint him, and enrich him with your presence and your power as he comes forth now to bring your word. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. All right, we'll give you a moment to reassemble, and, uh, and then Pastor Evan will uh, bring us into Genesis 22. I'll reassemble as well. Thank you. Hey, thank you, guys. Thanks for going through that exercise. I know there are a lot of churches you could be a part of, or you could just kind of sit in and hide, and sorry this isn't one of those, but I think it's good for us. I think it's good for us to continue to help us to grow, to grow, to be a people um, who approach God, who approach one another. Um, who recognize that we don't just talk about Jesus like he's not in this room, but we get to approach him together. So thanks for doing that. And now, as Nick said, you can find your way to Genesis chapter 22 as we continue on in our series looking at the life of Abraham. And we have been looking at the life of Abraham, talking about growing in faith and how the story of Abraham and Sarah, it really serves to show us what the journey of faith looks like. You know, Abraham and Sarah, they were just minding their own business in this wealthy city in southern uh, Babylon, modern-day Iraq, and God called them out. He called them to leave their home, to follow him, to be his chosen people, um, but he didn't give them a destination. He just said, you're going to follow me. I'm going to show you where you're going to live. And so they were just supposed to set out and follow him, and then he was going to reveal the rest later. Um, and along the way, 
there were a lot of challenges. There were tests that came their way. Um, there were ups and downs. Um, there were a lot of mistakes that Abraham made. We saw some of the mistakes that he made over and over again, but still, their journey of faith um, was a journey with God. And much like ours, actually the strength of the faith is not dependent on the amount of mistakes or the ups and the downs. It's dependent on the object of our faith, and that is God. And, and we see over and over again with Abraham and Sarah that though they would sin, that they would fall short, that they would make these mistakes, that God stuck by them, that he was faithful to them even when they weren't. Um, and so we're looking at Abraham as someone who's on this journey of growing up, of growing in faith, and how his journey really shows us some life lessons on how to grow up, how to develop our faith. And what we're going to see today as we reach, as we said, a very difficult chapter, is essentially one of the ways in which God works to grow our faith, and that is through tests. God grows our faith through tests, and this might be a very difficult thing for many of us to stomach or for us to accept, but I think it really makes sense if we're able to have what I would call a grown-up picture of God. If we have an understanding of how God has told us through his word how he is going to work in our lives, then this doesn't come as such a surprise, and it isn't quite as hard to swallow, because as we look through scriptures and as we look through how God has said he's going to work in our lives or what he wants from us or of us, we're not surprised to see that what God wants from us is faith. And in the book of Hebrews, it tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. That what pleases God is that we would be a people of faith, that we would be sanctified, that we would grow and develop in this. And then in Hebrews chapter 12, God tells us what his role in our life is. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The author encourages us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, or some versions will say the founder and perfecter of our faith. And this is one of God's main roles in our lives, to be the founder. As Nick talked about last week, he, Jesus is the one who gave us faith. He gave it to us as a gift, nothing we did on our own. But he's also the perfecter. It's his role, his job, to grow our faith. He is deeply invested in seeing us grow. And so if God wants us to mature and to grow in faith, and we all need to do that, whether we've been following him for 30 minutes or 30 years, we all need to grow. Well, one of the ways that God will grow our faith, that he will mature us, is through these tests. Because I think these tests are an important aspect of growing up because they help us to see God rightly. They help us to have this mature view of who God is. And as I said, I think all of us need to have that mature view of who God is because many of us, many Christians today, we do struggle with seeing God rightly. And I think our faith is really dependent on seeing God for who he is um, because we can get all these pictures of what God's role in our life is. We can get all these ideas of what he's going to do in and through us, and they're not always all that great. If God is the founder and perfecter of our faith, then that's what we need to see is God is going to do everything that he will do to found and to perfect our faith. Um, but oftentimes we don't view him rightly. Um, these are some of the views um, that I think often we can be tempted to fall into in viewing God's role in our life. And sometimes we can view God as one of his roles is just to be our bodyguard, right? He's just going to follow us along, and he's going to smack the bad guys out of the way, and he's going to keep all bad things from happening to us, right? And many of us will fall into temptation of having this view towards God. God's role in our life is to keep bad things from happening to us. We're going to see... That doesn't happen with Abraham, and I don't think that's God's role in our life. Or sometimes we fall into the temptation of viewing God as our boyfriend, right? Um, God just thinks we're so cute, and he wants to impress us. Um, he, his role in our life is to just make us feel good, and we often think we're probably cuter than we really are and that we have other options. 
Um, and so that God really has to do his best to make sure that we stick with him. And spoiler alert, that's not going to be the view of God we see in the Bible either. Um, or we can fall into this idea of the vending machine God, right? You put money in, you have good morals, you have good faith, and as long as you pay and you put the money in, you get good out, right? And oftentimes, even Christians can fall into this view, which is essentially Hindu karma, right? You do good things, good things happen to you. And we view God kind of as a vending machine. Um, or this last view that I think is a temptation is the deus ex machina, right? He's outside of the machine. He's ex machina. He created everything, and then he's just doesn't care, not interactive with it. And I think these are the views that, frankly, we need to mature out of. These are the views that we need to mature out of, because if we see God as any of these four, and the passage we're going to read today is not going to make any sense, and it's going to make us really sick to our stomach, and actually most of the Bible is going to really be a struggle for us. But I think if we continue to view God as the founder, the perfecter of our faith, and I think we can understand what exactly he's doing in our lives, and why exactly he gave us these stories from Abraham as testimonies to us of how to grow in faith. Because that's God's role. He's the founder. He's the perfecter of our faith. He's the one who's working to mature and to grow us. And we think about this, even though we might not like the idea of God testing us in order to grow our faith. Um, we know that through some of the other pictures of who God is or some of the other ways in which people in our lives work to mature us, as we see that these tests, these challenges, are a very real part of that. Um, we see this in parenting, right? Any parent, um, a loving father will take their child beyond the point where everything is easy and everything is done for them, but the goal is to mature, right? Or if you think about a good professor that you've had, um, for some of you students right now, you have professors, and hopefully they're challenging you, right? I was in school for seven years, and so I can testify that, okay, uh, the good professors are not the ones who just slide you right through, but good professors are the ones that test you, that challenge you, right? Sometimes the tests seem overwhelming, but not always. Um, or if you look at a coach, any coaches that are worth anything are coaches that will test and challenge their athletes, test and challenge their team so that practice is hard enough so that once it comes time to get to the game, they're not shaken, they know what to do, they're in good shape, they're prepared. They've been matured and strengthened. Or a good boss. We know that a good boss is not a boss that just lets you slide through, doesn't interact with you, doesn't care, doesn't give you any responsibility, but a good boss is one who gives you opportunities, responsibilities, who makes it clear that there is upward mobility for you, that you can mature and grow, that you can achieve here. And this is one thing that has been kind of front and center in my mind, because even though my daughter is now just a month old, um, so my role is still to make life 100% easy for her and to make sure that everything that she needs is met, I'm, I realize that that's not always going to be the case, that there comes a point in parenting, so I hear, when you do have to instruct your child that the world doesn't all revolve around them, that every need that they have will not always be met by mom and dad, but that sometimes life will have challenges and the world will make you cry, right? And we all go through this difficult transition sometime in our life where we realize um, that we can't just be a baby and have everything done for us anymore. And I think we have to realize that we're going to go through that in our faith as well with God. That there are times in our lives in which, yeah, God might be just working to supply for all of our needs, and we're in that season where we just need his comfort and him to do all those things. But there are these times in our faith in which we must also mature away from the baby faith, away from this baby view of God as the one who will just come to our every need, and to view God with this mature perspective as the God who is working to strengthen and to perfect our faith. 
And this is a hard transition to make. It says over and over again in the Bible, Paul in 1 Corinthians, he talks about our need to move on from milk, to eat solid food. Um, the author of Hebrews also talks about it, to move on from milk, to grow, and to have this right view of who God is. And so with that perspective, let's read Genesis chapter 22. It's a very famous, but very difficult story. And let's have it with this perspective that God's purpose is to grow and mature Abraham's faith. God's role is to grow and mature our faith, not necessarily to solve all of, our, all of our needs or to make our lives easy. And we'll begin in verse 1. We will read through verse 18. The words will be on the screen. Open up your Bibles. Find your way there and follow along as we read Genesis chapter 22. Now, sometime later, after the events, which Nick taught on last week, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. This is a long trip here. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the, the fire and the knife. As the two of them went together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Getting awkward. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. He then reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do, not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram, and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called the, that place, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all the nations will be blessed. Because you have obeyed me. That's the story here. Abraham taking his son Isaac up onto the mountain, sacrificed, but yet saw this happen instead. And so this is 25 years since we started the series on Abraham. 25 years since God called Abraham and Sarah to follow him. Abraham at this point um, was 100 years old, or he was over 100 years old, but it was at 100 years old that they had Isaac. Sarah was 90 when they had him. And it was against all odds, against all hope, they finally had this child. They finally had this son. In Isaac, they had everything that they ever wanted. And you have to see, as we went through their journey, having a child was everything to them. 
Um, and for many of us, we get this today, but really we have to understand in this time and this place, family was everything. And so having this child meant so much to them. Um, plus, Abraham had actually given up so much in order to follow God, all based on this promise. Follow me. And God said, I will give you this promise. And finally, now that they have Isaac, basically Abraham's not a fool anymore for following God because he had followed God for 25 years without a son. How did that look? Finally, God's promise is there. And God says to give him up. Give him up. One of the things we have to understand is just how valued and loved Isaac was to his father here. Because the son Isaac, see, Isaac represents essentially all of the promises of God. All of those promises that we went through from Genesis 12 on up to this point have been based and dependent on this son, on Isaac being born. They are all hinging on him, right? He was the future for Abraham and Sarah. The nation of Israel was going to come from them. He was the blessing. He was going to be this gift. He was going to be everything for Abraham and Sarah. And so he represented everything that God had promised to give them, and now they had it. They had this son, all of these blessings fulfilled. That's who Isaac was to them. And I think this is really important for us to understand because if we approach this passage and just think, well, God told Abraham to murder his son, I think we're going to miss the whole point. Um, because one, God didn't tell Abraham to murder his son. If he did, he could have told him, like, you can just stab him, that's the end of the story. Um, and we probably wouldn't preach on this as often as we would. But he didn't say that, right? He said to sacrifice your son. Give him up. Give your son to me. He said, I want you to sacrifice him. And this is important to understand the nature of sacrifice and the nature of what God called Abraham to do with this beloved son that represented all these promises because Abraham has made sacrifices already following God, but every other time God called Abraham to make a sacrifice, God always promised something as well. So whenever he would promise or he would call Abraham to sacrifice something, he would balance it with a promise. Do A, I'll give you B. Just here are a list of a few. God called Abraham. He said, give up your land. But if you give up your land, I'm going to bring you to a better land. Then he told Abraham, give up your inheritance, but I will be your inheritance. Give up your kindred, right? Leave your people, and I will give you a son and innumerable offspring, right? Give up your name. He was changing his name. And then God said, I will make your name great. God said, give me your faith, right? Follow me, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, right? Give this up, and I'll give you something better. That was always the promise that God gave to Abraham. And this is something that pastors like me love to talk about, right? Um, show of hands if you've ever heard this sermon before. Uh, give up something, not on this passage, but give up something, and God will give you something better. Right? You've probably heard that. Break up with that guy who's a jerk, and Prince Charming will come along. Or give up this habit, this addiction, and, you know, God will give you something better. He'll give you something better. Because nobody likes to preach that, like, hey, follow God, and it might make your life worse. Um, follow God, and he might not even give you anything this side of eternity. You might just have to follow for the point of following. Nobody usually preaches that sermon. That's not quite as fun. Um, or especially, you know, nobody begins an evangelistic call or, you know, an inspiring message about missions of saying, like, you know, you could... You could give your life to God, and he's going to send you to some far-off country where you're martyred, and maybe like the hundred people from the church you grew up in will remember you and be sad, um, but largely your name might be forgotten. Very few people usually preach that message, do they? 
No, we tell the stories of people who, who did sacrifice things and who did things, and then God gave them something better, right? He showed up. He did, he did something better. But the test here for Abraham was that God called him to sacrifice this thing, and he didn't balance it with any promise. Give me your son. And I'm sure Abraham was thinking, and you'll give me another son, right? Because <laughs> um, all of your promises are hanging on this. Like, what do I get if I do this? And that's the test here that I think God is giving Abraham, is what is it motivating Abraham to follow God at this point? Because you could quite easily say from all of the other sacrifices that Abraham has given that there were a lot of blessings included. And you could make the argument that Abraham could still be following in order to get those blessings, in order to get those good things that God promised, right? You kind of wonder, Abraham could be following God because he had a barren wife, and God said, I can give you a son. He's like, great, well, I'll follow this God. So that's kind of the question. Is that why Abraham is following God? Is it just for these blessings, these things that he can get out of God? And this test that God has given him is going to tell us very, very clearly if that is why Abraham was in it. He was in it just to get vending machine God. He could put obedience in and get what he wants out. God here is testing that. And I think this is a difficult test because as I look at those kind of misconceptions about who God is, I mean, who wouldn't want to follow a vending machine God with a boyfriend God, right? Seems great. But that's not who God is here. And you see, Abraham, um, he had built altars before and he had done sacrifices as we've read through, um, but every single time it was kind of to be reminded of these promises or to renew these promises. And so anytime Abraham would sacrifice, God would remind him again and again, remember, I'm going to give you these good things. Remember, I'm going to bless you. Remember, I'm going to make your life better. Here at this one, at this sacrifice, God is saying to Abraham, are you willing to sacrifice all of those blessings? Essentially asking, why are you really following me? Come here, do you follow me because you want your life better and because you think I'm the God who will just make life easy for you? Or do you see that I'm the God who is maturing you, growing you in faith, and the founder and perfecter of your faith? He is asking Abraham, will you follow the giver even if he doesn't give you all these things? Right? Will you give up the gifts for the giver? That is what God is testing Abraham with here. Would you sacrifice all of these blessings that are wrapped up in Isaac if you're still following and in a relationship with me? That's the test. That's the test that he's giving him here. See, sometimes that test can be placed on us, and it's difficult to know when. But at times, it can often feel like, you know, God is, is stripping things from you, or God is taking things from you. Or at times, it can even feel like, man, God is just killing me. He's doing this. Sometimes following God is like that, and it can cause us to, to doubt him, to doubt his character, to wonder, like, you know, why would God do this? And I think we have to pause and ask ourselves why that we think God wouldn't do that the whole time. Because oftentimes, especially these tests when Isaac is representing all the blessings from God, oftentimes this not only is a chance for us to grow in our faith, but this is a chance for Abraham to let go of all of these blessings and these things that he's holding on to that are not actually going to lead him to salvation or to anything. God is getting him to let go of the world, let go of all these things. 
And I think in those times in our life when it feels like, you know, God, why are you stripping me from this? Why are you taking this away from me? I think in essence, God is saying, hey, I know you love that, but do you love me more? And we're saying, yes, I love you, but I really love this. God is just trying to say, let go of that. Let go of that. Will you follow me even if you don't get that? Because if you won't follow me in order to only have that, then is that faith in me or is that faith in the thing you're hanging on to? Is it faith in the blessing, the gifts? It's the test that God is giving Abraham here. And oftentimes, that's what it feels like when we're going through these tests, like God is stripping us, like God is just taking something from us that is so, so important. And we see this throughout the scripture. You can think of the the story of the rich young ruler as well, right? This guy who came up to Jesus, um, and he asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus started talking to him about the Ten Commandments. He said, you know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not lie, you shall not defraud, and honor your father and mother. And the rich young ruler is like, great, all of these things I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him, and he loved him, and he said, one thing you lack Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And you see this rich young ruler, he had followed God and he had essentially, he got the vending machine treatment where he obeyed God. Now he was a ruler, he had land, he was rich, he had all these gifts. God had blessed him richly. And Jesus is putting the same test on him. Will you follow me if you don't have all that land and all that wealth? And when Jesus said that, Verse 22, at this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Right? He had all those gifts, all those blessings from God. Jesus tested him. Would you follow me even if those aren't included? You don't know the end of the story, but it didn't look like he was willing. This is the test that's given over and over through the scriptures. Are you willing to give up the gifts just for the giver, just for God? So like Abraham, I think we have to recognize that God will also test us. That if we follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we follow the God who at some point in our lives tests us. But guess what happens when God tests his people? He doesn't necessarily tell you it's a test. He's not necessarily going to say, all right, Luke, don't worry, it's going to be six weeks. Hang on tight, buddy, you're going to get through it. <laughs> uh, sometimes we're going to question, we're going to wonder, what is going on? Maybe I made a mistake. Maybe this is an attack from the enemy. Um, and it can be confusing. He doesn't always tell us when we're in one of those. But one of the ways that we can recognize that this is a test from God is just seeing one. It's not just a trap. It's not just a trap for us to sin, but it's an opportunity to obey. This is an opportunity to obey. This is an opportunity to show our faith. This is an opportunity to grow and mature in our faith, to see God rightly, to move closer to him gives us these opportunities. He gives us these tests for our own good, to mature us, to grow us up. And the thing is, God doesn't just enjoy um, testing people. Testimony of Scripture is that God tests his chosen people, right? That when God chooses people for a purpose, um, representative of him to rule and to reign and to do his will on earth, to have authority for him, these people are tested. Tested in order to grow our faith. And sometimes it's just this opportunity in itself, and sometimes it's a very difficult thing, this very difficult journey that Abraham and Sarah have gone on. 
But this, this is what God did in Abraham's life, and I think we have to take a step back and recognize that this is one of the things that God will do in our lives as well. And Abraham, he passed the test quite epically. Um, we saw at the end. That was great. Um, but look again at verse 4, because I think there are some aspects of this that we can look into a little more deeply as well. Um, because in verse 4, I don't know if you wondered, but why did Abraham say that they were going to come back? You know, maybe God did tell him it was a test or whatever. Um, Abraham's like, hey, me, me and him, we're going to come back. Don't worry. Wait here. Was he lying? Was he trying to cover up what he was doing? Or did he have some insight? Did he know? Um, it seems kind of fishy that he would say, hey, just wait here. You know, probably would have been worse if he said, you guys wait here. I'll be back. Isaac might not be back. Who knows? Maybe he'll die up there. Um, probably wouldn't look good. Um, but either way, I don't think he was just trying to cover it up. And I don't think he necessarily knew. But Hebrews chapter 11 gives, gives some insight into why Abraham said this in verse 4. Um, and this is, of course, a pro tip for you that if there's ever passage in the Old Testament that seems confusing, seems to not make sense, it's possible that it might be explained a little better in the New Testament. And so some of your Bibles have things in the margins that will give you a little cross-reference for it. Um, if you're on the app, sometimes there's links you can click on to hyperlink over there, or you can just Google cross-reference for this passage. And a lot of the times the New Testament will explain this. And so Hebrews 11 explains a bit of what was going on in Abraham's heart and mind when he said, we're going to come back. Because in verse 17 of Hebrews 11, which is this whole list of people who had faith, it says this, that by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as his sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, all of those other promises. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. So what the author of Hebrews is telling us is essentially... That Abraham, he knew God had made all these promises. All these blessings were dependent on Isaac, and yet God has just asked him to give up his son. And knowing what he knew about God, he knew, well, God is faithful. God is going to fulfill these promises. But we have this contradiction where he's just asked me to give up the promises. And sometimes what faith looks like, sitting down, and as Abraham did, reasoning, considering, what is God doing here? He obviously didn't know what the answer was going to be, but it says that he reasoned. He considered, what has my experience with God been in the past? What has God shown himself to be like? Is he the God who fulfills these promises? Is he the God who just says things and then takes back his word? No, he's the God who sticks to his promises. And he thought about this. He thought about his experiences. And then he considered, well, God must have this plan to bring him back from the dead. Even if we sacrifice him, God will make it work. This is a pretty key thing to understand when we are going through our own tests, is it's not just God necessarily asking us, hey, just go through willy-nilly, you have nothing to go on. But really, what we see is God calling us to consider who he is. Calling us to consider, hey, do you have this adult, mature view of who I am? Think about this. Think about who I am. Think about what I've done in the past. Think about what I've said to you. That's one of the ways that we get through these tests. Because Abraham's obedience wouldn't have really made sense if like, this was the first thing he did. Um, but we've gone through about a dozen chapters so far, and we've seen God show up 
in amazing ways. We've seen God follow through on his promises. And so if God's promises are true, Abraham knows I can follow him. I can obey this even if it doesn't make sense because I know who God is and I know that he'll hold to his word. And that's why I think Abraham told these guys that he was coming back. He was going to come back. He's reasoning that somehow, I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do up there, but we'll be back (laughs) one way or another. Um, And then, um, as we read, it kind of dawned on Isaac that they had wood, they had fire, they had a knife. And then he goes, Dad, where's the lamb? We have everything we need but that. And I just imagine this had to be like the knife in Abraham's chest here at this moment where he's already stressed, he's already worrying about this. This is already such a difficult test for him. And then Isaac asks this question, right? The thing is, Abraham doesn't lie. He tells him God is going to provide. Um, But he essentially says, I have no idea how God's going to provide. We'll see how this plays out. But he expresses his faith, and he says, here's the one thing I know God is going to provide. I don't know how this is all going to work out, but I know that God will provide. That's what he tells him. We can trust God. And we see there from the text that this wasn't just like a little hike up M Hill. This was a three-day journey. So Abraham had time to think about this, time to worry about this, saw it from a long ways off, plenty of time to stress. But he knew who God was, and he knew that God keeps his promise. And so he's thinking, I have no idea how this is going to work. But God called me to it. So I'll follow through. Let's keep going. Keep going. And Abraham essentially passed the test by opening his hands, and he placed that resolution, he placed the solution to this problem and to this test in God's hands. I don't know how this is going to go, but I'm going to put that in God's hands. So they get to the top there where God told them to go. They build the altar. They strap Isaac down. And then God says, don't lay a hand on him. Right? And this is a crazy story. And it's a pretty crazy test. And it doesn't really seem necessary from God to make him go all the way up to this point. Right? Like, Why go all the way up to the point where he was about to do it? You know, why all this pain and stress and heartache for three days as he's walking there? But I think it's because this is helping Abraham to have this grown-up view of God. Because I think we have to ask ourselves this question, that is it possible that God's greatest priority is not just to meet all of our needs or to give us the easiest life? Is it possible that God's greatest priority is to grow and mature our faith, to shape deep roots of character and trust, of hope, trust in God? Which means, as we kind of talked about, you know, as wise parents, this means that there are times when God will jump in and save and just solve everything. And there are some times when a wise parent would stand back or even sometimes take Abraham, take the child on a difficult journey in order to grow and to shape him. Here you have these three days, I think God, walking Abraham on this tough journey, It's not just jumping in. Abraham has this stress. He has this worry. God, how are you going to do this? God's not jumping in. He doesn't jump in and offer the easy solution or the easy answer. This is to grow Abraham. And I think this is going to cause us to ask some tough questions for us to reflect, especially if we are in a difficult season, especially if we're in a season that we might identify 
as a bit of a test, we have to ask ourselves, you know, is this situation something that we think God is, you know, obligated to solve or to do for us? Does this cause us to question his character? Or is it possible that maybe he's with me even though he's not solving this problem? That maybe he's with me, that he has a long-term plan in mind, even if this is difficult for me? I think we have to ask these difficult, tough questions. That is it possible that God's agenda for my life involves much more than just making my life easy? might be doing this to grow and to mature my faith. And I know that any of us in this room, we have these difficult circumstances right now. I think we have to ask the question, well, is it possible that God is doing something bigger? That through this, he's maturing our faith. He might have a plan in the long haul. Because ultimately, that's the test that he gives Abraham here. And that's the question I think Abraham's life puts onto us. Abraham was put to this test. Would you give up all this blessing for the giver? And often that test is put on us. Consider who God is and what he might be doing in our life. But ultimately, as we saw from the very happy ending of this story, is that the God revealed in this story is not only just the God who will be with his people in the difficult circumstance in the test, but as we know, because we know much more of the story, that we follow the God who will completely identify with his people, even in the pain and the suffering and the difficulty. See that in Jesus, right? where God himself took on the pain and the tragedy of sin in this world. He allowed it to overwhelm him and to kill him so that he could take it to the grave and to leave it there and to offer us salvation. And if that's the God we believe in, the God who would do that, I think that kind of forces us to grow up and to see who he is. That we would interpret these difficult seasons of life not as his absence, but if God is the God who would himself go through that for us, and he's the God we can walk with through those things as well. And I can't always be able to tell you, you know, are you in a test? Or maybe this is your fault. I can't always interpret those seasons for you. Um, but I think we can trust that the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit can help you in those times where we can pray and we can ask God, what are you doing in this season? Is this a test? Is this a test? I think he can help us and walk us through that. Especially in these tough, tricky spots. But as we even just reflect on the fact that you know, this is a pretty good picture of Jesus. Again, it, it still doesn't make this story all that easy, right? Like, this is a difficult story. And I still have a hard time with the test being God calling him to sacrifice his son. You know, like, there are plenty of ways I could think of in which God could strengthen Abraham's faith, right? Um, why this? And I always wonder, you know, how did, how did Israel hear this over and over again? This is 2,500 years before Jesus. And every New Year's Day, Israel would read this story. Think about how it sounded to them. Because, you see, if they are the descendants of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, well then, they know that without Isaac, if Abraham had followed through, sacrificed Isaac, there'd be no Jacob, there'd be no Israel, there would be no them. And so they see the story, and they would see themselves as they were about to die, about to cease to exist, and then God provided a ram a substitute for them. 
saved their life. This is actually a theme you see over and over again in the Old Testament. Right? Over and over, about to die, a lamb instead. About to die, a lamb instead. You look at the Exodus at Passover. About to die, but there's a lamb instead. You look at Yom Kippur, a lamb instead. Right? Over and over again, a lamb instead of us. And then when Jesus started his ministry 2,500 years later, born in miraculous fashion, kind of like Isaac. Isaac was born to a 90-year-old woman, Jesus, to a virgin. Well, Jesus comes on the scene, and John the Baptist knew who he was before anybody else did. And John the Baptist sees Jesus, and he says to his disciples, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist is saying, like, there's that Lamb again. Again. And that's who this story pointed to. Hopefully you can see that as well. This ram pointed to the lamb, which points to Jesus. Right? There's a son, a lamb, a sacrifice. This is a gospel story here. That's what the story was really about. It was pointing forward to what would eventually take place. To the one who passed every test that we often fail. Right? That we deserve to be on that altar because of our sin, but yet Jesus was instead. And so I know that, you know, the first half of this teaching was pretty heavy. Um, I kind of said, hey guys, you know, let's follow God even if he makes our life miserable. Let's do it. And you're all thinking, I can't do that. <laughs> and frankly, I think that's the point. That's kind of the point, that we can't. Um, but actually, the only thing, the only one who can empower us and help us to do this is Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And I think the only one who can pass all these tests is the one who passed greatest test on our behalf. Right? We saw Abraham fail over and over again. We talked about that a few weeks ago. But yet, all of this points to the one who did pass for us. And notice here at the very end what God says when he says, you know, don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son, your only son. Again, we're reminded if this points to Jesus, well, how do we know that God loves us? Well, if he said here, now I know that you fear me, that you love me because you've not withheld your son. Well, 1 Peter chapter 3 says this. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. We know God loves us because he didn't withhold his son. Right? And that's the gospel right there that Peter just shared. Jesus died in order to bring you to God. This is obviously still... You know, a hard story to get over. And I'll acknowledge it still rubs me the wrong way in a lot of different ways. And I was, as I was considering, you know, there are a lot of different ways to make this more palatable, more easy, obviously. You know, it shows all these different things and nothing happened. And, you know, people will tell you, well, Isaac was somewhere between the age of like 17 and 35, so it's not that bad. And I'm like, well, it's, it still seems pretty bad. Um, but I think maybe our inability to kind of get over kind of the terror and the horror of it might be the point. If this points towards the cross, uh, maybe it's supposed to be a little messed up um, and a little terrible to continue to show us just how horrible our sins were. That God did give up his only son for us. I think maybe we're supposed to sit back and be a little horrified by it, right? We know that God hates human sacrifice. He says it over and over in Deuteronomy. He took out a country because of infanticide. And I wonder, you know, why would he make Abraham then think in his own mind that he was going to have to kill his son? 
I think it's because God did, right? God did this. I think that appalling part of it should be there because it's a reminder of the severity of the cross. And this helps us to take seriously the cross. To see we are that bad. This is needed, but we're also that loved. This is the most extreme example of a payment of making something right that there could be, but this is the most extreme example of love and of a sacrifice that there could ever be. So I think if this still doesn't really sit well in your stomach, maybe it's supposed to be like that. Because maybe the cross would be like that as well. And at the start of this series a few weeks ago, I told you that Romans chapter 8, verse 32 is kind of a theme verse for Abraham and Sarah. Um, and this is my ninth sermon in this series. And so let me quote Romans 8.32 for the fifth time here. Because again, we see it in this passage. That he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Notice the blessing part there. And then Paul goes on. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And so that might be included. <laughs> Recognize that. Um, there might be persecution, famine, nakedness, sword. But, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul goes on to say, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So common ground. We will go through difficult things. God will test us. But in the process, he will grow us. He will mature us. He will separate us from the things of the world. He will grow a mature view of who he is through it. He will also provide for us. He also passed the ultimate test, even if we don't. He did this to help grow and to strengthen our faith. So would you see this in the passage? This is the God who will test us and grow us. But he's the God who gave up everything so that we could believe him. The founder, he's the perfecter of our faith. Start to finish. Let's pray, and we'll continue on in worship. So, Father God, as we just reflect on all that you've done for us, we thank you. We just turn to you now, singing how thankful we are to you um, for all that you've done. I just pray um, for this church here. As, as so many are going through these difficult circumstances, God, would you just, would you just give the gift of faith? Would you... Help us to remember all that you have brought us through in the past so that we would be encouraged to know who you are in the future. God, we thank you for being a loving father. We recognize that you being a loving father doesn't mean just solving all of our issues and making life easy for us, but that, that you're growing us, that you're working in us. And so we commit to being a people who consider who you are. We know that you promised to be with us always, even to the end of the age. And so we know that you're with us. Would you help us to remember that? Will you show us what you're doing in the midst of these tests? But again, God, we just thank you um, that regardless of we pass like Abraham, these tests of faith, or even when we fall on our face and we fail and we sin before you, that you were the God who forgives us because you gave your only son for the forgiveness of our sins. 
And so we thank you for providing in that way. As our needs come up, as the challenges come up, we thank you for being the God who provides, that we can turn to you and we can ask that you're the God who provided ultimately, and so now we get to pray for you each day. So Jesus, we just turn to you in praise. It's in your name that we pray.
Thank you for being here. Grace and peace. Have a wonderful week.